talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome back to another episode of More Like the Worst Wing Our show, we're here now in 2022 We take a look back at formerly Aaron Sorkin's seminal work, The West Wing from a bit more of a modern leftist socialist perspective. I am Dave. And I am Stu. And rather than lump these last two episodes together like we discussed we were going to do last episode, <laughs> uh, we have decided to tackle them individually. They bit they are less of a two-parter than we thought. Yeah, so I had this a, first one. Well, I was, I was like I was thinking strongly that they would be like just strung together, but they're not, and they actually there is like a natural demarcation between the two of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, this first one is all about the Republican National Convention, which is sort of going on in the background, uh, and we see through TVs and stuff like that. Because uh, this this one is called "Things Fall Apart." This episode, um, and so we get a lot more of. The upcoming DNC is sort of the big premise for the Santos and the Bingo Bob campaigns. And uh, Bingo Bob reaches out and offers Santos the VP spot and says, okay, let's 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 do a unity. Let's come together. You'll be my VP. You know, let's go beat Vinick. And and so the Santos campaign gets to think about that for a while and consider it. I mean, and ultimately, uh they don't it's almost obvious from the jump that like they're not going to and again I, we we have the benefit no. of complete hindsight on this of course and but at, they make it pretty obvious in the writing that they're not going to jump at the offer but i do also right. find it somewhat dissonant because the dramatic like slide snare drum roll into opening credits kablam is the offer of the vp role to right. santos and are we supposed to interpret that that is like something that's like like hugely dramatic and way out right. of left field? It just seems so of course the nominal <laughs> like, of front course, runner is gonna going offer to... you the VP job to tell you to fuck off. Right, as like, a way of just wrapping all this up before yeah, a like, potential con- contested convention. <laughs> like what what else would and to the show's credit, they then immediately kind of walk that like drama and heightened tension back with Helen Santos laughing about just it. Just shitting all over it. Yeah. <laughs> correctly. Yes, yes. correctly. Because uh, the the exact line is, uh, Jimmy Smith is like, it's like, it's the second most powerful job in the world. And she's like, <laughs> do you actually believe that? Like, like it, it would be if Bingo Bob was Joe Biden's age and in Joe Biden's health, but Gary Cole's a young, healthy man, so you're going to be doing nothing as vice president for four to eight years, and then maybe, and this is still operating under the old presumption that VP was, like, the next shoe-in for, for the nomination, then after that point, you could be the nominee. Yeah, when was the last Second time? Second most powerful job. <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> well, and I mean, and Helen was pissed off about them running at all this time. Right. Much less right. eight years into and, the future. And, and mortgaging their house again. Like, and, and like, you know, all this, all this shit they've had to do. And like, yeah, this idea of like, no, honey, it's fine. I'll just go do a do nothing job for eight years and then we'll have to go through all of this again. Now, 
Were I wearing my cagey, lazy, leech-off-the-government hat, I'd be like, fuck yeah, dude, sign me up for $174,000 a year to... To do nothing. To, to do nothing. To go handshake. Like, be great. Handshake with, like, the girls' volleyball team yeah. that wins the national championship <laughs> and take a photo op and and all the BS crap we see the VP do throughout the show. Yeah. So, yeah, no, from that kind of perspective, it, yeah, it's a cush gig. But obviously we're meant to understand that Jimmy Smith is not the kind of man who would just want to sit around for eight years collecting government salary and and doing fun photo ops and and getting access to the uh the ice cream down in the basement <laughs> oh and they also make it explicit that the only reason that they started the campaign was because they knew or like you know that they're still in it or still fighting it out is because mm-hmm. they know that none of the other people have a prayer to win right. against arnold Vinnick. which okay fine like i'll i'll believe it because you know yeah. on all the rules Bingo Bob like, sucks yeah yeah Bingo Bob sucks, and yeah, everyone sucks, and yeah, there's a lot of kind of going back and forth. Uh, There's some, like, uh, intrigue toward the middle where Josh is like, they're going to do this stunt at the convention where, like, they get, uh, what, um, Hoynes. Hoynes is, like, 162 delegates that he's earned are going to pledge to Bingo Bob or something like that, and, like, and Santos is like, damn, man, how are they so smart? And like, I don't know. It's just, it, it all feels weird and off. But yeah. then we get to the end. This is where it culminates. And I'm just like fast forwarding through this sure. one because we yeah. kind of want to talk about the other plots in this episode. But at the end, so he actually go, um, Santos goes to meet with Russell. And um, there's a little bit of like Josh and Donna kind of tension of like, because they finally meet up again. And, and presumably he's going there to accept uh, the, the offer spot, of the VP, yeah. Based off the framing of the episode thus far. And then he gets in there, and I really like this where... So Gary Cole starts talking to him, uh, Russell, and and in, like, within two minutes, or, like, not even that long, really, like, within 30 seconds, <laughs> Santos is just visibly uncomfortable yeah. at having to, like, <laughs> sit here and talk to this man. And I really think that just going through his mind is just, like... Fuck, eight years of fucking talking to this guy? No way, man. I can't and, do it. I just can't like, do it. And being condescended to, because it's actually right. pretty subtle. Um, because, you know, Bob Russell comes out and he's just like, I think you're a great guy. Let me describe, and it's very, it's very hammy corporate Democrat yes. talk of being like, let me describe to you the role I have in Our relationship. For you. Yes. What, yeah. what our relationship is going to be. And it's just so presumptuous and, as you said, condescending. And just, like, instantly, like, Jimmy Smith does this great job of just, like, he's looking away and he's fidgeting and he's just, like, he's giving off this body language of just, like, I want to be anywhere else but here right now. <laughs> well, and it, it reflects back because Bob Russell actually notices it and kind of starts to, like, go into, like, an oh shit X-Temp moment where he was like um but by which i mean i i believe i have a lot to learn from you from you but, but also <laughs> and, then, and also you, you could learn from me from me and like and then upon <laughs> that he just kind of like gets up and he's like all right nope but yeah fuck <laughs> it and then just like smash cut to him walking out and he's like josh let's go and, he's, and josh is just like oh i thought we were gonna stick around to have like strategy talks and coordinate oh we're not doing it oh okay <laughs> and he, he follows him <laughs> And just Josh has been being such a fucking weirdo the whole time, too, where he's like, yeah, it's 
it, it's unclear whether he's excited that his candidate that is they're going to the offer. Yeah, going yeah. to take the deal. It's so yeah. weird, and he's like, and it's because he's discomfited by Donna being there and technically being in a position of power over him. Right, like, and uh, earlier, earlier uh, they talk shop a little bit as they're watching the RN the RNC go on, and he's like, "How'd you get so smart?" <laughs> and like, it's like it's he's intimidated by her now, I guess, because she's a professional equal or something like that, or maybe this is all just building towards the eventual relationship or something yeah. like that. It's establishing that she's not just his assistant anymore. And the, those those scenes are the most forced. In the episode, yeah, too, where they're sitting in, like, the so. hotel bar, and he's, like, yelling at the TV because they're making these galaxy brain interpretations <laughs> of what the Republican speakers are saying. Right. Well, first off, uh, yeah, oh my god, let's get into the RNC stuff. Yeah, so let's talk, actually, this is a good transition here. Because <laughs> this is great. Because, yeah, so it opens on, they're at the hotel bar, Josh and Donna are, and they're watching, uh, literally, Ray Sullivan, the VP guy that we just saw in the Vinick episode, um, become Vinick's VP is going off and doing a bit a big Bartlett bashing speech at, at with his VP slot at the RNC and is using all these increasingly tortured metaphors <laughs> to describe like the state of the country and they're all illness related you yeah. know he's like the economy is sick sickly and and, and our values are bedridden and ill <laughs> and and josh and donna are both like no he's he's not going where we think he's going and then he's like you know what i could just say that the state of this country is multiple sclerotic <laughs> and they're like uh okay <laughs> and it's like okay it's like first off no one's gonna do this no one no one drops the word sclerotic, sclerotic. In, like, in a speech like what <laughs> and like I, I, and I get it. They're 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 super offended that the Republicans are like capital G capital T going there. Yeah. Uh, about Bartlett's MS, and and they're like, God, you fucking Republicans! And Josh is like yelling at the TV at the bar and has to get like pulled away, and everything. And it's like, yeah, weren't you just talking about how great Arnie Vidic was and how great the Republican Party is and like the whiplash of like, oh wait, they suck actually. Well, and then further, to your point, there's just crazy whiplash at the end when Arnie Vinnick takes the stage and accepts the nomination. Mm-hmm. He does this, like, he gets 45 seconds to a minute of actual episode time of him mm-hmm. talking about how great Bartlett is. Bartlett. Bartlett is a great man, and you know what? We actually have to respect him a lot, and and you know, and I'm gonna go be the next president. But that's not, you know, I'm not criticizing Bartlett. I'm just taking over his job, and and he gets a huge like applause break, and what? like as you said, Toby gets <laughs> does the thing where he describes to the audience like, yeah. "Wow, Vinick so- <laughs> just did real good there," and I know. I'm big speechwriter. And this is something, and we'll actually this kind of ties back to the the writers are just there's just so much laziness in this episode where it's they they cannot make Arnold Vinnick's speech good enough, much like they like they can't subtly imply that the vice pre- or the Republican VP nom is going after Bartlett's MS. So right. they, have they have to, to both, hit you over the they head. They just have to be extremely explicit or have a character explain it to the stupid audience 
about this thing. And Emma's been sitting here while I was looking at it and laughing about this stuff too. And she goes, also, like, Toby's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like, that the, the actually doesn't do any of the things that Toby no. insists. Like, no, it's it's like, yeah, he's like, oh, he just picked up five million Democratic voters by praising Bartlett, like, a little bit. <laughs> like, well, what? okay, A, I do believe that, but, <laughs> but like, th- those were not hardcore Democratic voters, apparently. Then. Well, and, uh, I mean, I guess we're, we're supposed to take all this a priori that, like, this shit is just desperately important and working. Right. And this is what moves the needle on these things. Yeah, but, whereas, in reality, no like, one's what watching the, fuck? the RNC yeah, nobody <laughs> in watches. this universe. Uh, and, and everyone's going to watch the DNC because it's going to be a fucking floor fight, <laughs> uh, which is hysterical. Because remember back like three seasons ago when the network people were like, we fucking hate airing yeah. <laughs> every goddamn minute of this stupid convention. It's so boring. We just want to show the balloon drop because people like that. We're going to show one hour, not four days. Fuck you. I would love to see a cut to them now. And they're just like screaming at some intern like, you're going to show every fucking minute of that Democratic <laughs> convention this time. <clears throat> well, and we have the, the DNC chairman again, lazy writing here. They have, they have a frazzled seeming guy walk into Bartlett's office at some point, And he, yeah. the first words out of his mouth are, well, gee, Mr. President, I'm the chairman of the DNC. <laughs> it's, like, it's like that meme. I'm just leaning over to Emma being like, hey, that's the chairman of the DNC. <laughs> when the chairman of the DNC comes on screen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, man. It's Basil Exposition shit, man. It's just like... <sighs> There's one... Yeah, and he's like, oh, I, I have to babysit these babies because we're not having, like, a nice orderly convention where just someone fucking wins it outright and there's going to be multiple ballots and, oh, no, Dems in disarray. He actually says Dems, Dems in disarray. Dems in disarray. I know, and I... When I heard him say it, I was like, are we... Is, is this where they get it where from? it comes from? Uh-huh. I, I, I heavily think that's the case, it, yes. I wouldn't be surprised, which is very funny. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. There's, there's one other instance while we're on this trip of just the writers being so fucking weird. We have Rana, the second in command at the <laughs> Santos oh, right. campaign. Like, they're talking oh, yeah, about... Bit. Something and Josh uses the phrase like if wishes, if wishes were horses. Were, exactly. If wishes were horses, which I looked up and is apparently some Scottish folk phase, you know, if wishes were horses, you know, even beggars would ride. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know. Yeah, and, like, and, it's just an yeah, aphorism. Re- like it's just a normal common sane aphorism thing. And for some reason Rada's like, what is that? Like a Bob Dylan thing? You old guys and you're Bob Dylan. And I'm like what? <laughs> what? What is and well, like? So, I don't get the point of this either narratively or yeah, from Rana's perspective. We, we put all of these words in to have like a to date Josh as being like an older guy, I guess. It feels and then, like they're trying to do the snappy Sorkin dialogue, and they just don't know how to do it. Yeah, <laughs> I get it too well. And that's then, really what this is. It follows up with using uh, like a Simon and Garfunkel line, and Matt Santos uh-huh. looks over at Rana and goes. That one's Simon and Garfunkel. It's like, well, I, okay. I, like, I just don't, I don't get it. Why did we go down, again, it's like 35, 45 seconds of airtime of like, all right, so? Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't I don't know either. I guess this should just show campaign bants or something yeah, like bants. that. But it's just it's just weird. It's weird banter. Yeah. So that's about uh, like then, the is there anything else on the convention side that you wanted to talk about? Uh no, but I just wanted to bring up that uh they're bringing up they're talking about the convention and Leo's like uh the fucking convention, you know, professional wrestling is entertainment, but then after it's over, they don't vote for the guy in the leotard, and Josh goes, well, outside of Minnesota, because this is right after oh, Jesse yes. <laughs> Ventura won governor. Yes. <laughs> so, we have not departed from reality too far in that yeah, 9-11 I, didn't I do happen, like them but Jesse Ventura the is the governor. Into, in, in, in <laughs> just a, a gag like that is actually pretty good. So, yeah, that's the only last thought I had on the VP thing. So, yeah, obviously Santos turns it down, and then the next episode is going to be about the convention fight at the DNC. Yeah, so let's take a break and check back in, because there are two other things we want to talk about in this specific episode that are not convention-related. So we have a Kate Harper story arc in this episode where she and CJ and Toby, um, <laughs> essentially there is a crisis on the International Space Station where astronauts are running out of air. Yep, the oxygen is leaking out. Uh, and they apparently only have about three weeks left. And then there are two American astronauts and one Russian cosmonaut up there that the White House needs to save uh, and NASA needs to save. So they bring in the administrator and in a hilariously like inept and like <laughs> utterly like garrison style bumbling line, the NASA administrator in this very first meeting with the president's when he's chief laid of out staff options. Mm-hmm. and national security coordinator, he goes like, well, the civilian shuttle might not work, but... What about the non-civilian shuttle? (laughs) He doesn't even get that far. He just goes, well, that's the civilian shuttle with the implication that there's another non-civilian option. And then then he goes like, "Um, can we talk to the president, please? Yeah, because he's just talking to CJ because the president's busy with something else. Um, I think the president's doing the thing with the DNC chairman uh, at the moment. So yeah, and then, then CJ is like, uh, immediately picks up on the most unsubtlest of hints and is like, excuse me, is th- are you saying there's a non-civilian military space shuttle? And and since she's chief of staff, eventually someone has to tell her, yeah, there is. And, and uh, yeah, we, we could use it, theoretically. But, but it would expose bef- the asset. <laughs> before we even, like, before that even gets around, she goes down this thing of, like, finding out whether it exists, and this trips the felonious admission of national security secrets story arc off that we all know about in hindsight. Right. So, yeah, with the knowledge of hindsight, we know that this ends up with, like, Toby's treason, and it all plays out in season seven, and that part of it all sucks and is really dumb and lame. But this initial kickoff bit where it's still intriguing and and there's the problem to solve of the three astronauts up there. This part is good. I like this part. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm okay with this part. And you get, 
Kate Harper and, you know, CJ just kind of sniffing around each other and Kate being like, oh, maybe. I really enjoy the conversation they have in the Situation Room about the militarization of space, um, Mm -hmm. where where they're going back and forth and with uh, between her, the general, and Kate, and they're just kind of laying out like, well, you know, it's just for, like, maintaining satellites and, you know, increasing communication amongst our troops and whatnot. Th- that's all we mean by space militarization. And CJ's like, what about this, uh, like, laser from space, kinetic uh, weapon from space, launch a missile from space? What, a, <laughs> yeah, what about like, all these files I have here about all these, She's like, holding up a programs? folder that's, like, top secret space laser definitely not a weapon yeah and like the general and kate just kind of go back and forth of like just kind of deflecting like ah the r&d guys they think up a lot of you know we're we're never gonna do that trust us like while they're crossing their fingers behind their back it's like those eggheads over at the national laboratory you never know what they're gonna get up to yeah we definitely definitely would not use whatever weapons they've invented not like we have every other time they've given us new stuff yeah so some some things you know get sniffed around and and cj has her suspicions and whatnot and ultimately this this episode ends with a bombshell dropping that holy shit piss the mm-hmm. the the damn Greg Brocks of the world mm-hmm. who work for the New York Times got mm-hmm. wind of, of the, the fact that of a the military, military shuttle. space shuttle it, exists. It exists and it could be used to launch a rescue mission. That that's it. That's the only thing that leaks. It's just the existence of it and everything. I also enjoy though that when they're discussing the hypothetical of using said military shuttle to rescue the guys they're like uh, the general guy's like are you kidding me there's a fucking russian cosmonaut in that station you're gonna let him into the military shuttle he's gonna be taking pictures he's gonna go back to russia he's gonna tell him all about it yeah it's like okay and (laughs) yeah well then he goes on this thing where it's just so 2005 ish it's like oh well why don't we just invite venezuela and cuba and china over give them a tour of the hangar of the department of defense and just yeah give them all of our technical manuals and here's how to build it everyone and china can come too and yeah because some poor oxygen deprived cosmonaut is definitely going to have a cell phone that doesn't exist yet and be taking pictures with it right? of and, a military space shuttle uh, that just lands. Not only that, but there's also the admission, and even the general guy says that, like, the other countries know that we have this, basically. Yeah. They just don't know, like, 100% confirmation of the details, which is what they would get. Uh, and so that, like, that's really the thing here is, like, oh... They, we would just be, like, bumping it up from 95% confirmation to 100% confirmation. And that's just unacceptable for us, that 5% movement. Yeah, because CJ even makes that point, And it seems like the president has already made up his mind that he's going to use it. To save them, of course. To save because Bartlett's because a good guy. And, and you a, know, yeah, he's and not going to let three people <laughs> die for nebulous national security concerns, which is all this boils down to. Yeah, and so... They they make that that case and the president he literally and but they have Bartlett say like I don't need anybody from NASA to right. convince me right All yeah because CJ because like, CJ's like something. I know I noticed NASA's not here pushing for like hey we need to rescue these guys at all costs and Bartlett's like yeah yeah don't worry that that's like in the core of my being already yeah which is good and it's 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 subtle enough sure 
that it's yeah, like, okay, it's not yeah, calling like a it. big attention to it. It's done tastefully. Like good job yeah. show. Yes. Yeah, and so obviously the episode culminates with the big fucking leak, and Annabeth is freaking out because right. the press got a hold of this right. shit. And then we have sort of like we have a, a, a long cut of CJ. Yeah, the best fake implication cut ever, <laughs> where just like we smash cut from Annabeth going like they had to have a big source to run this story, like a top <laughs> source. Toby, do you? fucking know who could have leaked this smash cut to cj looking smug staring at television like and literally almost literally doing the like the thing from the simpsons with you know the yeah. dog is evil because yeah. his eyes go <laughs> from yeah side she's side. almost doing the mr burns like steepling her fingers excellent yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's not it's, very subtle it's at all the least subtle thing and like oh my god it's just show trying to throw you off track desperately especially because annabeth is asking toby this question which is even a better tactic of like throwing you off track because that's the actual leaker and like and so we do get to see like a hint of toby's reaction and it's played well where richard schiff as the story is thing is reacting just like a little bit to it uh uh, where you can tell he's like "Mm, oops i did that (laughs) yeah and his initial when cj questions him initially about it his initial reaction is pretty is pretty good and very well acted and played on because he is it's clear and we learn in hindsight eventually that while he is doing this he knows about this shit and is going to tell people about it but he's sort of like he does a very subtle and tactful thing of like yeah my brother may have hinted at hinted right at this and then also like my brother well no but also like my brother would have insisted on not not doing it right not using it right he would you know he would have nobly sacrificed his life rather than well and and the implication is that toby also believes in the nobility of that sacrifice and so he is going to cleave to his brother's line in theory yes yeah that's the yeah so it's done it's very that part of it is well done and subtle the the toby stuff but then the just the implication smash cut to cj is like the most hit you over over the head with a hammer of like dun 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 Dun. cj dun leaked it and the credits (laughs) yeah and that's what we end on so yeah, this is so this kicks off as you know as we said and we'll cover it going forward as we cover season 7, the big long Toby treason arc that that ends with him. It, it ends up getting commuted or something. I think President Bartlett pardons him on his like last day when he's doing all the pardons. I think. Yeah, if I'm I think that's how it he happens. Ends up, got, he obviously. ends up not going to jail, basically. Like, he suffers some consequences. He's under, like, house arrest for, like, Yeah, he's, half like, professionally disgraced. And, yeah, yeah. And all, yeah, all that and whatnot. But, like, he's fine. He'll be fine materially or, or whatnot. So it's yeah, not real it's... consequences. But and that part of it sucks, like, as a storyline, narratively. Like, <laughs> like I said, this part of it is still interesting, intriguing. There's a problem to solve, but once the astronauts yeah. are saved, then all the narrative stakes are just gone. And, like, I don't really care about Toby's professional reputation. <laughs> yeah, it, it, because it, and frankly, I think it's because the show has spent quite a long time, I think, not devaluing Toby, but blurring Toby into a Everyone generic yeah. person who says things. Yeah. Like, yeah, he has no who, character anymore. His character yeah, used to I, be, like, the hardcore lefty guy. And then, <laughs> they and just... I think that is why we end up. I mean, quite deliberately, we end up not giving a shit about what happens to Toby because it's just like, oh, okay. I mean, right. um, 
Right. Oh, He's, let's just say Toby did this. Yeah, they just sort of filed all the edges off him. Like, he was this hardcore lefty curmudgeon, like, loser, basically, who ended up accidentally winning. Uh, and then they just turned him into generic, like, no, Toby's great. He's the best of the best. He's he's meritocratic and, and great, just like all of us. Yeah, just like everybody else. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That, that pretty much wraps up the, the space shuttle thing. Do you, you want to just hop right into... You. So, the third subplot that happens in this episode is Charlie and Zoe are, are back together again. And... <laughs> like and and hardcore back together like yeah, we, oh, yeah. we get a shot of that we we are introduced to this concept by a shot of charlie exiting you know rumpled clothing yes exiting yes. zoe's bedroom Co- and kissing her goodnight. hung over his arm uh shirt yeah. untucked you know we we know what just went down and so does uh bartlett because bartlett runs into him uh, coming the out hallway. of the bedroom in the hallway <laughs> yeah. and like this part of it the part where it's just kind of awkward and and funny like this part of it is fine and funny and whatever it is very you know it's just sort of sitcom-esque of like uh-oh dad caught me stepping his daughter wah, yeah. wah. <laughs> uh, but then the but then like they go back to bartlett being like actually upset about this from like a you know protector dad like kinda. a dadly yeah, thing. that old-fashioned boomer patriarchy thing of like my girl shouldn't learn about sex till she's thirty-five. So, well, so we get we get two interactions with him about it. One of them is with Abby, who is great because she's just giving him shit about it. She's just like, well, of course they're sneaking around. Look at how you have reacted to this. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Why she, would they let you know? Right. If they could avoid it at all. Right. And, and she basically lets loose that like uh, they're not sneaking around. Like I know about it. The Secret Service Secret knows Service about knows it about because about otherwise it. they fucking shoot Charlie <laughs> if he tried to like sneak into her bedroom. He has to like clear all his visits with her. Yeah, and so that I think that's fine because she's giving Bartlett shit sure. about being this way and then then the next interaction between charlie and the president right is just this is the weird, weird one yeah this is the weird fucking one. The weird fir- the first one where they meet outside zoe's bedroom is very comedic and funny and whatnot and then the like you said the abby conversation is good because abby has the correct point of view of like look they're adults who cares get the fuck over it and then but then yeah this third one like and he doesn't even work directly for bartlett anymore that's that's the other part of this dynamic that really and he's older looking dule hill oh because you know dule hill has he's he's rocking a mustache now and he looks a lot older than like young charlie like it's it's actually shocking how much older he looks and like He's, he's almost, I don't want to say he's taller, but he's framed a lot taller than Bartlett in that confrontation. So it's just like, when Bartlett's just like treating him like this little kid or whatever, I'm like, he's a grown man and your daughter's a grown woman. Like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so they, he goes in and I, I still don't understand what's happening. So he goes into his office and they're sort of like doing the bants about like, oh, we should continue to pretend this didn't happen. And Charlie says something... Like, but here's the thing, I want Mr. More. President, I want to see more of your daughter. I was hoping we would get more time to spend together. Right. Like, I want to continue seeing her. And he's like, I want to get serious with it. And and Bartlett's like, oh, you want to make an honest woman out of her? Yeah. And Charlie goes, no. N- n- and then like, he goes, so what are you saying? And he's like, I, I can't. It's It's the weirdest fucking so I'm talking about actually seeing more of Zoe. 
more time with her, spent together, being together, and such. Charlie, the president's daughter can't move in with somebody, and I assume you understand that you cannot move in here. Yes, sir. That had occurred to me. Then I'm sorry. I'm not quite sure what you mean. Oh. Are you talking about? Ah, uh, yes, sir. You want to make an honest woman out of her? No, Mr. President. That's not it at all. We've been sleeping together for kind of a while. They say like. Do you understand what I'm saying? And right. It's like, and then, and then yes, Charlie's like, wait a minute, I? wait a minute. Would you be cool with me asking for her hand? And then like they have like back and forth on that. And it's just I don't know. Just, it's all it's so, so awkward because there's this like inherent quote unquote like respect for the president thing that Charlie still operates under, where he can't just like talk to this guy like another man. <laughs> Like, yeah, or and and honestly, like I I even I wrote in my notes. It's been a long time since I had like the mad dad experience. Yeah, in regards yeah, to a girl too. that and I was it seeing, feel, it feels very old fashioned. And like it made a lot more sense when they were like eighteen or whatever, and and they're like it, they're teenagers or whatever. But now Charlie is a young twenty something, and so is Zoe, and they're like out of college and they have careers, and Charlie doesn't even work for president bartlett anymore directly and, and it's, it's just weird so for him awkward. to still it's be so... so patriarchal and like oh what, what are your intentions with my daughter and, and like and it's and not because even... i i don't feel this vibe from it at all but there is you know because he's a black man and there's this increased scrutiny on him there's a little bit of a racial element to it yeah, I mean, it could it could be I'm sure anybody. he would be just as hard with a white guy. Uh, it could be anybody still. in this scene. And honestly, I'm not the the thing that gets me about this. I'm not even I'm not up about like my my hackles are not up about the fact that Bartlett is being a condescending prick about his grown ass daughter. Right. I'm, I don't find the fact that he would do that or the fact that Charlie sure. is that, worried about that weird. It's just the why whole are we scene, here again? the vibe is weird. And they, why, they can't. Yeah. write it why are we they couldn't write it why are we retreading this ground again too it's like we've we've done this already with charlie and zoe and like him being disapproving of it and then charlie proving like actually i'm a good guy and sh you should give me a chance like we've done all this already yeah and we already struggle with so much of the rest of this show having been done already that's like well are really we're gonna go back to this well again like, there's only so much blood you can get, like you said, from this dead horse. Yeah, here. yeah. Like, they're really... That's what the show feels like, especially at this point. It's just running on empty, and they're just trying to spin the wheels and rehash whatever they can, like, throw at, throw at the wall, kind of, and see what sticks. Yeah, and this sets up... So I will... I'll We'll probably cut this off at this juncture, but this sets up something that I'll touch on when we record the season finale next time, where Bartlett is always, always comes down to as the ultimate authority mm -hmm. on whatever. So the show spends a lot of time, and I'll, I guess I'll set up the conceit now because why not? We're recording. Mm -hmm. um, this show spends a lot of time espousing these values and, you know, talking about democracy and feeling like everybody gets an equal chance and whatnot until Bartlett himself personally does not feel like it right 
Right. At which and point, he, he makes gets, a decision. He gets his and, way. Yeah, he gets his way. Yeah, because he's the pro- he's the protagonist of the show, and so all the narrative framing of the show is to always make us empathize with Bartlett, even in the times where he is wrong or he is doing something pig-headed or stupid. We are we understand his choices because he's the protagonist. Yeah, you know, it's I his think- show. Yeah, and when you said that, it it occurs to me that that is actually probably, regardless of the intent of the writers or how it's structured, I think that is an emergent trait of the show itself. Mm-hmm. It is it is fundamentally emergently mm-hmm. quite authoritarian. Yeah, it, it, I mean it has to be. It's about an authority figure, and it's from basically his POV. I mean, it's really from all the staff's POV, but a lot of it is from Bartlett's POV. And yeah, so and by making it his POV, his point of view, we are inherently giving him more empathy and and because we're brought into all aspects of his decision making, we we're meant to understand that his decisions are wise and good and heroic. And and sure he might be wrong every now and then, but overall, you know, he's our hero. Yeah, and I think if if I was to describe this show to somebody else as like authoritarian and quite chauvinist a liberal who watches the west wing would not bulk. think yeah. about yes they would balk at that character they'd be like oh, author- authoritarian he, he's leader of a great democracy it's, it's the essence of democracy yeah. yeah yeah but you're no you're absolutely right from a narrative perspective it's always bartlett's word is god is law you know, God King Dad. You know, we we go yeah, back we've to talked it about President Dad before. because yeah. because it is such a theme. It's such a theme because television narrative has this extra power to sort of invest all of this into this man. You know, it's the combination of the gravitas of Martin Sheen and the music and the setting and the costumes and all this plays like a trick on your brain to make you inherently empathize with and try to want to understand Bartlett's perspective even though that just boils down to, like, one man as god-king of the nation. And I just find it, I think it's really interesting to be able to look back at these things and scrutinize them in this way, because I, these days, there's so much new content that is produced. And, like, I like television. I'm a fan Mm -hmm. of watching TV and movies, don't, like, just kind of generically. Obviously, we both are. How do we else talk about one show for so goddamn long? (laughs) And, but there's a lot of it these days where I just notice this shit immediately. And I'm mm-hmm. just like, N- uh, nope, like, yeah. don't, don't have it's, time for this. So something like Breaking Bad played more with this. We're like, okay, here's our protagonist, but he's explicitly evil. At what point will the audience cotton on? You know, and like, and whereas Bartlett is not evil in the way Walter White is, obviously, but it is a similar dynamic where just because he's protagonist, you overlook the bad stuff or you or you just empathize with it or you're more understanding of it because as protagonist, you get to see all sides of the, of the dilemma from his point of view. Yeah, and I, th- I think that also, um, I mean, we, we see it in modern times and stuff we see a lot of it going on with current events and political persuasions where it's oh i'm and i'm going to relate this to covid because i do it with fucking everything else in my life um it's people who are like oh i was so cautious how did i catch covid right Uh, yeah i kept my uh, mask on all those times except for when i took it down to eat (laughs) yeah like oh but then there was i was so cautious and then i took my mask off and they are they feel no dissonance 
no. about saying that, where it's you right. have a they're example the hero of, of what their went own story. Wrong. They're yeah. the they're the protagonist of their own reality, and you know bad things don't happen to the protagonist. That's what TV taught them. Or if yeah. they do, you know, it's an arc and it's something to overcome and, and persevere. And it's just going to make you better in the end. Yeah. And that, that also feeds back. I mean, we talk a lot about toxic optimism and stuff. Like, that's another kind of mm-hmm. a driver of that phenomenon. Where it's, yeah. oh, no, but it's because I believe this about myself that I'll overcome it. And, right. you know, Bob, just, yep. I don't know. Everyone's the hero of their own story. And, and this is, you know, the, and because... Sorkin decided to take on, you know, politics and and the White House and everything. This ended up teaching a bunch of, you know, politics, actual politics doers that they can do no wrong because they're just the hero of their own story. The the invisible TV camera is following right behind them. (laughs) Well, and it, it, it feeds perfectly, I think, into the people who would have been Josh's age when this was being filmed. Mm -hmm. Like, pro like border boomers i would say you know mm-hmm. you're 55 58 well, you're, year olds you're older gen xers yeah you're older xers into who, be, who would become like obama boys well and it sort of feeds into a a just as similar type of solipsism that i feel like the older people do so it's yep. there's this constant reproduction of that social value which strikes in this culture like in this little piece of culture here it's like, oh, wow, I can see how that's being done, like, yep. in real time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, it's fascinating, and that's that's what makes this all worth studying so much. And and ho- hopefully this is uh, this study of this episode has engaged your mind and, uh, and opened your possibility space. Uh, so thank you, as always, for listening. <laughs> I love my possibility space. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. <sighs> We'll, uh, we'll come back to discuss the final episode of Season 6 next oh time. Oh my gosh, Season 6, it's almost uh, over. Yay! And then we get into the much worse Season 7. Although the campaign stuff is good, but I remember all the White House stuff from Season 7 just being a slog, <sighs> like the Toby stuff and all that. But we'll get into all that uh, as we go on through this project. God bless us. The light's at the end of the tunnel. One season left. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you can drop comments in, uh, our thread on Something Awful or on Bread and Roses. If you found the show a different way, hi, hello, welcome, and you can email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com if you'd like. Nice. It's always nice. And we'll be back next time to discuss the final episode of Season 6 of The West Wing here on The Worst Wing. Bye, Bye everyone. Stay safe. Stay safe. Money you ask for. But don't ask me to come on along